faithfulness. Let's talk about that for a second. So I dug into the Greek of it, and to help you guys with a headache, I just condensed it down to three words that are very similar to being faithful. So to be faithful is the same as being consistent or unchangeable or true. So when I think about somebody who's consistent and unchangeable and true, obviously I think about Jesus, but if you know me by now, even though I'm wearing an Iron Man shirt, Captain America is the most consistent, unchangeable, true superhero out there. So I'm going to give you some backstory on this video before I show it. So um, Captain America is captured by the people that are taking over Earth at the time. And this was from a show that I used to watch called Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So if you ever watched that one, it's a good one. But so he's been captured and somebody is impersonating him. And so he's, he's being detained by the people that are um, taking over Earth. And he is going out for these like press conferences and telling everybody, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to just give up and let these guys take over and everything. So they wholeheartedly believe that this is him um, because the guy looks exactly like him, talks like him, everything. So he is in bondage and then he, gets, he breaks out of that. And he's having a conversation with Spider-Man about, okay, now that people know that it wasn't you, why don't you just go out there and do your own, you know, press conference and tell them, like, hey, this is the real me, that guy was a fake, whatever. So this was his response. So he lives by his actions. He's consistent. He is faithful to the people that he's defending. And he does that by his actions, not by his words. So our first point tonight is that God's faithfulness is consistent. So God's faithfulness throughout Scripture is our first point. Do you want to throw that up? So God's faithfulness throughout, throughout Scripture. If you want to open up to Luke 24, 13 through 35... I'll give you a second to get there. This is a passage called The Road to Emmaus. Um, and some, just to give a little bit of context on this, there are two, um, of Jesus, two Jesus followers or two uh, disciples that we don't really know their names. We know the name of one of them, but this is literally the only time that we hear his name said. So we don't know anything else about him. Um, and they're walking back to Emmaus. Um, and this is after Jesus has been crucified and has resurrected from the grave. So uh, he has broken out of uh, his tomb, and the women have already gone to see the tomb. Um, and they have talked to the angels, and the angels have told them, you know, Jesus is risen. Um, and this is immediately after that, so in the, in the narrative in Luke. So let's read this, 13 through 35. The very day that two of them 
uh, the very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? As they stood still, looking sad, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? As if he didn't know. <laughs> um, and then said to him, and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, O slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So let's let's stop right there for a second. So the women were the first people to come upon the tomb, and that was by God's design, right? So the very the very first people who in this time women were not considered very reliable sources of information. They were just seen as second-class citizens, but God still chose them to be the first people. And then he picks these two disciples, not the 12, he picks these two that we still don't even really know the names of. Cleopas is called, he's not, he's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. So God is again using the weak to, uh, to make his name known. So let's go back to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then immediately after this, he goes and talks to the 12 disciples as well and shows himself to them. So I thought about going through and showing you all the way through scripture <laughs> how God comes into the story. But Jesus does it just on this road. He, he shows them from Genesis on 
okay, this is what I was doing here. This is what I was doing here. But he blinds their eyes so they can't see that it's him until he breaks bread at that moment. So God gave them context. He told them, you know, I have been faithful to you this whole time. and You still don't believe me. That The prophet said that I would do this, that I would die on the cross, that I would come back to life, and then I would be your king. So he has always been faithful to his word through actions. Our second point is this, God's faithfulness to us specifically. So previously, that's, that's talking about Israel, right? So he was faithful to Israel despite the fact that this cycle of disobedience with them where he would bless them for seeking him out and then they would immediately just go and do their own thing, worship cows made of gold and ridiculous things like that. So they would do that and then he would bring them back into the fold and it was just this constant cycle all the way through the Old Testament until we see Jesus come on the scene. So here's Jesus' faithfulness to us. There's a song that we sang a few weeks ago called King of My Heart. And I just want to look through these lyrics with you guys together. So um, it says, Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. He's my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. He's my song. And this word gets really good. So let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sail. So he is the, the source of strength for you, the source of uh, encouragement, the anchor in the waves. And this is where it gets really important, guys. So the waves in this, it's just, it's, it's a songwriter that tends to be very poetic with his, his words. And so once you actually dig into it, you can see just how scriptural it is. So the anchor in the waves, the waves are going to be pushing us, and that is the inconsistency, right? But God is the consistency. He's the anchor that we hold to that keeps us planted in the same spot despite our circumstances, despite our atmosphere and our surroundings. God is the one that we can hold to no matter what. He is consistent. He's faithful. He's true, right? So he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins. So he's the passion when you feel like you have no gas left in the tank. He is the passion in your veins. He's the echo of my days. This one's a little bit harder to explain, but... A couple weeks ago, we talked about your legacy. What do you want to leave behind? And if you ask somebody that is a non-Christian, they say, oh, well, I want people to remember me. Like, we're going to remember Kobe's name, right? But when you think about Kobe, you don't think about Jesus immediately, do you? So this is saying, this is his prayer, that the echo of my days be him, right? That it be Jesus, not me. That when people look at my life, they see echoes of Jesus, not of what I've brought to the table, right? So these are, we want him to be the echo of our days. He is my song. And then let's go on to the chorus here. Now, if you're just listening to this song without any context or anything, you get to this chorus and you start singing over and over again. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. How many of you have felt like you've been left down by God before? I have. So sometimes it's hard to sing this song, right? You sing it over and over and over again. It's one of the most repetitive songs I know. (laughs) And it's this part where it says, you're never going to let me down. And so I struggled with that for a while. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go back then. Go back to that, this slide right before this. So he's the wind in my sails. He's the anchor in the waves. He's the echo of my days. 
He's the fire in my veins. These are ways that we rely on Him. But how can we rely on somebody that we don't understand when my dad dies of cancer or my parents split up no matter how hard I prayed that they would not get a divorce? These tough things that we wrestle with, they were like, how could a good God do this? And it's because we don't have the full picture. I've got a video here that's going to explain it a little bit, um, and we'll talk about it a little after. So go ahead and play that, Carter. So I hope that didn't just go completely over your head. Um, So this is just one illustration of understanding this next verse that I'm about to put up. So it says, oh, you got it? There it is. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So he's basically saying, I am the creator, right? You are the created. He's a lot more blunt with it in Job, and it seems almost um, insensitive given what Job goes through. But it's true. God is the creator. And he says he works all things together for our good. That's a promise that he gives to us in Scripture. So we have to trust that and know that as the creator, he knows what's best for us. It helps also to just keep in mind that we have about this much time on earth. And I am not discounting what you have gone through. We have this much time on earth. And then the rest of this stage and beyond is your time in eternity. By comparison. We can't even really understand what eternity is, right? We can only put a construct on it based on our 2D perception of what else there is. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when it's hard to trust in Him, He says, Give thanks. Worship Him. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Especially when you're angry at God, right? And everything by prayer and supplication, give thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your, your request be known to God. But then there's the promise on the second half that 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, he's asking us to just trust him. He's been doing this longer than we have. He created us. He is the creator. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's just. So we just have to trust that and lean on him. Our third point is our unfaithfulness to God. God will always be faithful. And if there's one thing that's consistent about us, it's that we won't. We will always be unfaithful to God until he perfects us in heaven. Let me throw that third point up for those that are taking notes here. Hopefully I put it on there. But your third point is our unfaithfulness to God. So, I want to throw up this... Yeah, there it is. Um, I want to throw up this graphic here. And hopefully this helps us understand a little bit more about just how easy it is to get stuck in this. So, as people, as humans... We're enticed to sin, and then we start to build that desire to sin. And that desire gets stoked by temptation, whether by our flesh or by, uh, by Satan, by, by demonic powers. But mainly, it's our flesh, right? It's a battle between our flesh and the spirit. And then we end up sinning. And because we sin, we feel so much guilt and shame that we just do it all over again, over and over. And if you're anything like me, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse until you hurt your family, you hurt those that you love the most. And you can't take things back. But the good news is that God gives us a way out. So when you get to that spot where you are feeling so guilty and ashamed of what you have done before you give in to the enticement, right? Because that is exactly where Satan wants to jump in and keep the process going. He wants to make you useless for the gospel. And so that spot is where you have a choice. You can either continue in the cycle or you can take God's way out. If you continue in the cycle, you are going to stay stagnant in your faith. You will not grow in your faith, and you will flatline. You will be dead in your faith. You will not grow in your faith. But if you take that way out and you consistently choose God, you have a chance at growing in your faith and becoming more like Christ. And then this cycle doesn't start to feel so overwhelming and all-consuming. There was a time in my life where I thought that that was just what I was doomed to. And everybody told me the same thing. Every guy struggles with it, right? You're not stuck in it. It can get easier, but you have to want it. God's not going to force you to take the way out. He offers it. He's standing right there. With his hand out, waiting for you to take his hand every time. And that's not the only point where he does it either, right? You can be enticed, grab his hand, you're out of the cycle. You can desire that, realize that spirit lives in you, right? At any point in this cycle, you can reach out for the hand that he's giving you. Temptation, reach out for his hand, you're out of the cycle. 
you sin before you even feel guilty about it. God's going to give you conviction, right? But there's a difference between conviction and guilt. Guilt is us. We put that on ourselves. Guilt causes us to go back into the cycle. Conviction causes us to change. God gives us conviction. So if you get to that point, always reach out for that hand. God has been and will always be faithful, no matter what. That is true. We'll get into this in our next series, but as humans, we are completely inconsistent, no matter what. Even after Jesus completely redeems us, we accept his free gift that he gave us on the cross. Even after he completely redeems us, we still screw up constantly in one way or another. The good news is that God is always consistent. God loves us unconditionally. Giving us love that we crave from everyone else. But everyone seems to fall short. No matter how hard they try. There is no limit on how personal our relationship with God can be. And there's no depth that he won't pursue to redeem you from whatever you have gotten yourself into. There's nowhere that you can run that he will not come after you and love you unconditionally. So when he says trust him, there's a reason for it. He's been holding his hand the whole time. I'm not big on altar calls or moments where you you pray a prayer and then Jesus comes in your life. But for some people, it just takes one time that they can look back and say, that's where I did it. That's where I reached out for God and God got a hold of me. And I could not walk out of here without offering that to you. So if this is the first time that God is working on your heart with this, That he's saying, you don't have to struggle with this anymore. Life doesn't have to be this hard because of what you're doing wrong. I'm here and I want you. He's reaching out his hand and I want you to take it. Kate and I are going to be up front here. And if you want to talk to us, you can. If you want to talk to somebody in your small group, do that. Do not leave here if you don't know Jesus. Stay until you do. Because you don't want to go out there without him. He is reaching out his hand and you can take it at any point. He's just waiting. Let me pray for you. God, somebody, hopefully, in this room is hearing from you tonight. And God, you know I'm not big on these, but for some reason you put it on my heart. So somebody in this room is hearing you, maybe for the first time. And I pray that you would impact that person. Maybe it's not even the first time that they've heard from you. This is, this is the first time that it's been real or impactful and that they've been really listening. 
Or maybe they have fallen away and they feel like they can't come back to you or they don't deserve to come back to you. You've made it blatantly clear in Scripture tonight that that is not true. That you want them to come back. You are waiting with open arms for them to come back to you. So God, we pray for every heart in this room, every person in this room, that they would not leave here without knowing you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you guys go to your small groups.